You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. My name is Andy. I'm Connections Pastor here at Kingsway. My wife's on staff as well. We love being part of this family. Uh, She was singing here today, and it just is a beautiful place, and we love Pastor Matt and his family. And so for those of you who have not been with us, perhaps you're watching online for the first time at home, Our lead pastor, Matt Nickerson, had surgery about a month ago, and so he is making his way back. He's recovering, and I texted with him this week, and he said, hey, if people wanna pray, I've got an appointment coming up this week, which will be uh, good in my progress, so be praying for that, but we continue to pray for the Nickerson family, and he said, I can't wait to be back here sharing the word of God with you all, and so we can't wait to have him back. So continue to pray for him, and that'll be good. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Today, I'm excited to share some stories with you. You know I love stories. And so I want to know your story, even though you're not going to shout it back to me. I just want you to be thinking about, have you ever met somebody famous? Somebody that if you said their name, we would all recognize it. Somebody famous has come across your path in your life. Well, my wife and I were with my parents back in 2007 at the Montgomery Inn down in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a good barbecue place, but it's not like Kingsway Barbecue, because we've got some great barbecuers in here. I've had the ribs, I've had the smoked brisket, and we're better than Montgomery Inn. Just hang around and you'll get a taste. It's really good, but, but it's a good restaurant. In Cincinnati, you got Skyline Chili, you got the Montgomery Inn, you got Grater's Ice Cream, and so it's kind of famous. And so people will come by that are known by the public. And so we're all sitting there at our table, and all of a sudden we hear a commotion near the front of the restaurant, And our waiter comes by and we say, what's going on? What's happening over there? And he said, George W. Bush, the president at the time, is in the restaurant. He's here for Johnny Bench's birthday party. And so he's here. And we we all turned to each other and said, oh, this is so exciting. And I turned back to look at my wife and her seat was empty and she had made a beeline to see the president. And there she is with her hand out, ready to shake his hand with a row of people. And she got to shake his hand and she is quick. I mean, she just, boom, gone. And so there she was shaking her hand. Someone from behind kind of bumped into her and pushed her, trying to get a handshake with the president. And so she lunged towards the president. The Secret Service agent was like, excuse me, ma'am, need to back up. And so she met two famous people that day, a Secret Service agent who talked to her and the president. So that's pretty cool. That picture, yeah, we didn't take that, but that's of that day. So it's on, it's on the internet, who knew? We're excited today to share about a few other famous people. Uh, I don't have to tell you that we love fame, we love being in the know, and 2,000 years ago, before Jesus' birth, they loved that too. There was a guy named Julius Caesar, who National Geographic says he was received an unprecedented four triumphs. These are citywide parties that were the highest honor a military commander could receive. Everyone wanted to be around Julius Caesar. Perhaps the greatest honor of his life was they named a salad after him. (laughs) The Caesar salad? Okay, just making sure. We can imagine that people would rush out to see Julius Caesar back in that day because we have the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016 winning their first NBA championship and 1.3 million people flooded the streets of Cleveland because we finally won something. Yay, Cleveland. And I can say that as a Pittsburgh fan because we 
We're terrible. Okay, I'll stop. But we love parades. We love people. We love famous people. We want to get in contact with them. So Caesar was huge, and he drew huge crowds, but then he was assassinated in 44 BC, because leaders back then were always being assassinated, it seems like, being stabbed in the back, power was changing hands, there were civil wars. Nobody felt safe some 40 years before Jesus came. Enter onto the scene Caesar's grand nephew. He was actually his adopted son at this point, and he was just 19 years old when Caesar willed him everything. His name was Octavian, Octavian. He was shrewd. At first, he was happy to be part of what's called the second triumvirate. I think we have a picture of, see this was picture day at school uh, 2,000 years ago. You all had to make the same face. All right, time for your picture day. Like that's what you gotta do. And so this was the second triumvirate. There's Octavius or Octavian there in the middle and he took his time and then he avenged his grand uncle Caesar's death and he became the guy. He was the lone emperor of the Roman Empire. Feel like you're back in 10th grade history class. Why does this matter at Christmas? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because Octavian had his name changed in 31 BC when he became the emperor. The Senate bestowed on him the honor Augustus, which means revered one. He was the most famous of famous in this budding Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus. Have we heard that before? Let's read. Our scripture today is in Luke 2. If you have a Bible, feel free to pull it out. That's where we'll be camping out. But the very first verse says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Why was Caesar Augustus widely known as one of the greatest emperors of all time? Well, Encyclopedia Britannica, Speaking of which, did, did you guys have encyclopedias growing up? If you're my age, around my age, did the world book salesman come to your house and then the Britannica salesman come to your house? You saw ads for it on TV and, and you were like, I guess we'll get this. And so we had it in our house and I read it once maybe. But Britannica, a pretty good source, said that he brought long lasting peace and prosperity to the Roman world. He's considered one of the great administrative geniuses of history. He carried out the enormous work of reorganizing the empire after decades of dictatorships and civil war. He transformed the dying Roman Republic into an enduring stable empire, beginning the period of tranquility known as the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. All that civil war, gone. Never had to worry that your emperor was in charge. You didn't have to worry about things of that first century or before the first century. It was a peace that people were longing for, a quasi-peace because you still had to obey him and you still had to pay the taxes. In fact, he gave the people that illusion of security if they would fall in line. And how did the taxes come in? Well, through several censuses, sensi? Octopus, octopi, censuses, sensi. We looked it up, it's censuses. So just whenever you need your sinuses clear, say censuses, censuses, censuses. It's fun. You don't believe me, but it is. <laughs> what was the purpose of these censuses? It was to say, look at how great my kingdom is. All of you must pay taxes. <laughs> it was to count the people that must be paying 
these taxes so that he could continue to grow this Roman Empire, which was budding. He seemed like a king of kings, right, to the people that were provided for. Some people died, so they didn't think so, but for the most part, the Roman Empire looked like it was growing and in good shape. In fact, he, he called himself the son of a god because Julius Caesar, his adopted dad, when he died, the Romans made him a god, a little G god. They said, you're, you're now a god. You're in the pantheon of these Roman gods. And so Augustus took full advantage of that as a good political figure, and he said, I am the son of a god. So he, he got worshiped, and he really was the focal point in people's lives. Here we have the son of a God who looked like he had all the control. Some felt at peace, others didn't. Do you feel like you have no control in your life sometimes? Someone else is calling the shots and you just have to live with it. Maybe you ask a question similar to what Bible college professors, first century peasants have asked. If Jesus is king, why does the emperor look so sovereign? If Jesus is king, why is our country going the way it is? If Jesus is king, why is my life out of control? If Jesus is king, why? Another way to ask it is why do good things happen to bad people? Today I want you to rest assured that no matter how things look, God is still in control. He still reigns on the throne in heaven. Jesus is right next to him up there interceding for us. No matter how bad things look, God is still in control. And we see that through the story of a little baby named Jesus. We may think Caesar Augustus is in control, that the first century peace and comfort he provides is enough, but our story tells us otherwise. Verse four in Luke chapter two, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. This was quite a journey. It was rugged. It was up and down hills. It was lots of miles, several days that they traveled. There were bandits that could have jumped out and gotten them. But the most significant part of that verse is that he was born in Bethlehem, this Jesus. He could have been born in Nazareth without Caesar Augustus's decree. But some 700 years before Joseph and Mary made that trek, there was a prophecy, a word from scripture that said the Messiah, the promised king would come from Bethlehem. He'd be born in Bethlehem. It's in Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Makes me think of one of God's names in the Old Testament, the Ancient of Days. And Micah's saying, this is coming. And he'll be born in this little town called Bethlehem. Augustus made the decree because he wanted more power. Was there another king pulling the strings? Is your boss really in control or does God ultimately have your, your heart at his heart? Whatever political party you don't associate with, are they in control or is God really on his throne like it says in Psalm 45? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Do we believe that? Do we believe he's really in control? Do we live our lives that way? Do we really trust him? 
Verse five, he, Joseph, went there, Bethlehem, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I remember being in a play as an eight or nine-year-old in my church and I, I think I was the innkeeper. <laughs> I think I was the one that said, sorry, Mary and Joseph, there's no room for you. Go find another Motel 6. Because that's how we, we imagine it sometimes, right? We imagine this inn, a modern day inn, and there's a no vacancy sign. But as I researched this more, HebraicThought.org gave us a really cool picture that they think this is what the type of house might look like. Excuse me. This is that room they were talking about. The Greek word is kataluma, kataluma. When we read about Jesus asking the disciples to go reserve a room later on where they would meet in the upper room, that was the kataluma. And so this was kind of the place for the guests. And we think from the scripture passage that they were staying with family. This was Joseph's hometown. He probably had family still in Bethlehem. And so they had probably gotten there Several days before, it wasn't a last minute thing. Jesus is coming out, we need somewhere to deliver him. They'd probably been there a few days and they were waiting. But the Cataluma, the extra room was full. That's where the, the esteemed guests might have been. And you see the sheep here, there might have been an animal pen on the lower floor, could have been towards the back of the house, maybe in a cave even. But they would bring the animals in so they wouldn't get stolen by bandits. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary at a family's home and they say, we have no room for you in the guest space. Mary, I mean, you're kind of disgraced. You say it's from God, but why don't you just go hang out with the animals? Jesus picked the most humble way to enter this world because he's an approachable God. He wants all of us to come to him. All of us. And that made me wonder if Joseph's family knew that Caesar Augustus was coming, would they have cleaned that Cataluma up? Would they have kicked out whoever was there spreading out on their king-sized mattresses or whatever the bedding was of the day? Would they have rushed out and said, come on, Caesar Augustus, we have room for you but we don't have room for you, Jesus. We don't have room for you, Mary or Joseph. What about today? If you heard that Peyton Manning was coming to town and he needed some place to stay, would you clean up the Cataluma and get it ready for him and enter a drawing to have Peyton Manning stay at our house? I would, but do we have room for Jesus? I'm gonna welcome my friend, Brooke Gensel. She's on staff here at Kingsway. You see her singing a lot. She got a woot. There you go. And this is her little guy, Beckett, four months old. Hey, buddy. Who are you? I don't know. Hi, buddy. He was asleep first service. I gotta make sure his head's held up. My kids are 13 and 11, so I honestly forget what a baby's like. <laughs> Maybe I just blacked it out. I don't know. That was enough for me as a dad. But this little guy, I wanted us to know what Jesus was getting himself into. 
like Kyle Gensel, my friend and Brooke's husband and this guy's dad, Kyle reminded me that Beckett can't really hold his head up very well, and so I have to support it. So today we're going to test that theory out, all right? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. We're not hurting the baby. <laughs> Kyle, it's okay. I promise. But in Psalm chapter 3, it talks about God being the lifter of our heads. Jesus couldn't even lift his own head in that little manger. The humility of our God. He wanted to go through everything. His mom, Mary, he created, and then he allowed himself to be completely subject to her. Have you ever thought about that? We have Caesar, Augustus, in this beautiful castle. Plenty of room for anybody. And we have Jesus and this little baby just ready to start his 33 years so that he can have a relationship with you. Good job, buddy. Yay for Beckett. <laughs> it's a picture, right? Like we'd forget that God became, he entered into a baby. That's how much he loves you and me. He could have done anything, right? He could have just appeared before Caesar Augustus and said, guess what? Give me the keys. I'm taking over. He could have been a full-grown man. He could have been Hercules. He could have been Superman. He could have been anything. But he said, no. The way to enter humanity is the way that humanity begins as a baby. Jesus was just like Beckett. The limitless one voluntarily took on limitations because he loves us so much. God had arrived on the scene and very few people knew about it. That's not the way I would have drawn things up, but God's way is always so much better. Let's continue our story, verse eight. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. What is this glory of the Lord shining around them? Well, I imagine light. I imagine this presence. I imagine something that is nothing like we have here on earth. We'll talk more about that glory, but I want you to notice that because the angels have been with God, the glory is all over them. And when you are with God, and then you go interact with people, God's glory is all over you. We can't get it off because we've just been immersed in him. It's Christmas season. Let that glory be all over you because you've been with Jesus. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord there will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company, the heavenly host, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The earliest and best Greek manuscripts indicate a slightly different phrasing for verse 14. So what does that mean? Earliest and best Greek manuscripts. So the Bible has been translated many times throughout history as language has changed and as different languages have needed the Bible translated into it so more people groups can understand. And so through those translations, 
the wording adjusts. Think about 17th century English compared to today. Completely different. We would have trouble reading more older words is what I'll say. So verse 14, in that earliest and best Greek manuscript, it says, glory in the highest places to God and upon earth, peace in men of goodwill. Peace in men of goodwill. Well, let's start with the first part of that verse. What are the highest places? The highest heaven, as vast as heaven can be imagined, there's the highest part and there's, a, there's corners of it and the glory is just all throughout it. It's overwhelming. The shepherds got to see that. What is glory? The Oxford Dictionary says, high renown or honor won by notable achievements, magnificence, or great beauty. It sounds like we're describing a king in his kingdom, doesn't it? We read in verse nine about the glory on the angels. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It just sticks to us. It's just been in us and on us when we've been around God. Psalm 19 describes creation. It says the heavens, and that heavens is not the heaven, but it's creation, God's creation. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. God's glory is everywhere. It's, It's what he intended for creation. And there are still parts of our imperfect creation, our fallen world, that we see God's glory daily, his intricate beauty of a butterfly. In that moment, I imagine the sky being pulled back a little bit as one angel appears, and the shepherds are terrified, and he, he gets the message to them. All right, the message is out, and then all of a sudden, the sky is pulled back more, and all these angels are here, and what's this going on? There's glory everywhere. And we're seeing it spill out, and the shepherds, they have no other thing they can respond to but go. There's no other way to respond to such a beautiful, glorious piece of heaven where heaven and earth have somehow met. Their only option is to go. Remember Caesar Augustus. I think Luke put these two people in Luke chapter two on purpose. I think he wanted us to look at Caesar Augustus who appeared to have all the control. He's the man, he's building the kingdom. There's a pseudo peace that he offers And here's the real kingdom. And let me peel back the sky so you can see it. And the shepherd's response should be our response. We gotta go tell people about this. We've seen the glory of God. And there's a newborn king, and he's in the town of David, which I know is the prophecy from the Old Testament. These shepherds knew that he would come from the line of David to the town of Bethlehem, and he would sit on David's throne, and he would reign and bring a new kingdom. I wanna read that last verse again, verse 14. Because we, we, we're getting a picture of the glory and we're, we're understanding the landscape, but what about the peace? It says, glory in the highest places to God and upon earth peace, who's the peace for? In men of goodwill. Men and women of goodwill get the peace. I don't, I don't think the peace is, it, it can be for anyone. Anyone can accept Jesus and his peace, but the men of goodwill are those that are covered by Jesus' blood. Those who have repented of their sins and and they say, "I'm I'm in that kingdom. I'm no longer in Caesar Augustus's kingdom because even though it brings a little bit of peace and a little bit of happiness, like that's the kingdom 
to be in. And so I'm in that kingdom, and so I want that peace. And I think the angels knew the followers of Jesus would need to understand and to feel that peace because future emperors, guys that came after Caesar Augustus, weren't, weren't quite as nice. They would use Christians as human candles. Christians were persecuted because the Caesars, the line of emperors, didn't want a new kingdom to come. And this guy, Jesus, kept saying, I am bringing a new kingdom. And so the Christians that would follow Jesus needed this peace that can only come from God. And we see that from the angels as Jesus is born. I love that the gospel message, the good news about Jesus saving us from our sins is right here, present at Jesus' birth. God has a plan. He's on his throne. It's all working out. You hear that verse also, goodwill to men, right? It's very Christmas cardy. Goodwill to you, sir, and goodwill to you as well. And I have a little goodwill left for you. And goodwill hunting's an okay movie. And goodwill to this and that. But I can't goodwill the world to peace. Right? I know myself. And I look a lot more like Caesar Augustus than I do like Jesus some days. Where it's all about comfort and security on this earth. Men and women who are covered by Jesus are the ones who are the men and women of goodwill. They're the ones that are favored like Darren talked about two weeks ago. Christians, you are the men and women of goodwill. You are the ones that get the peace. And if you haven't experienced that peace, then I wonder, have you had an encounter with Jesus? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that he promises. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's because I've given my life to him and I'm on his team and he wants me to have that. You get the peace so that you can then be a distributor of peace. That's what God wants. Luke mentioned it last week. He talked about shalom, how it's more than just a peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's an overall, all-encompassing peace that I can walk through anything because God is with me. I love that. This peace that doesn't make sense, but I have it and I can't explain it, but I have a king who loves me and forgives me and created me and created the universe and he has all the glory and I'm on his team. Like, why wouldn't I not want what the shepherds want? And so what do the shepherds do? They go. I wonder what happened to the sheep. <laughs> did the shepherds go in shifts to see Jesus or did the angels say, hey, we got it covered. We're angels. Boom, boom, boom. There's a fence. You're good. <laughs> or did the shepherds not even care because they had seen the glory of God and they had heard about a newborn king and the sheep didn't matter anymore. They just go. Go is one of our action words here at Kingsway. You hear us say it's part of our growth path. To become more like Jesus, we connect, we serve, we give, and we go. The shepherds have been in the glory of God, and so they go. Verse 17 says, when they had seen him, when they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what these shepherds said to them. Friends, 
We gotta go at Christmas time. Christmas is about going. It's going to the, the places that need hope. It's going to a family dinner that needs peace and being that peace, not joining the argument. It's about going to the corner where someone's all alone, sharing a meal. Christmas is about going. The shepherds could have gone back to life as usual, but no, they had to tell everybody about this little baby. God has come. He is here, the savior of the world, the newborn king. We're part of a kingdom that's not counterfeit. It's one that lasts, not one that dies. So a question I've been asking myself for weeks now and that I'll ask you, do you have room? Do you have room in your schedule for this king? Do you have room in your heart? This is Christmas week, friends. We still have time before Christmas. We still have time to make room what a beautiful opportunity this is where people that don't believe in Jesus are singing Christmas songs and saying Merry Christmas. They're off from work because of this little baby. And we have the opportunity to invite them to a Christmas Eve service this Friday and Saturday. We have the opportunity to, when we're all eating dinner together to offer a prayer. We have the opportunity to actually listen and love and share about this newborn king. But it starts with each one of us. Do you have room? One really good gauge for me in my life, figuring out, is God truly the king of my life today? I think back on my day, what was my first thought when I woke up? And what was my last thought when I went to bed? A lot of times my first thought when I woke up was my football team, are they gonna win today? Earlier in my life, it was that special someone who I was thinking about as I eventually would get married, would have kids. It was my job. I've got all these tasks to do. Those were the first things I'd think about. And then I'd, last thing would be my phone. Normally at night, I'd be either playing a game or scrolling or whatever it was. Those were my last thoughts. And, and I found it, that it's hard to fall asleep to that. And so just recently, we put our phones down on the main floor. And when I go to bed, my phone's not in my room. And, and I just spend my last moments talking to Jesus. And it's amazing how much better I rest because my last moments have been in the conversation with my Lord. And that's something I wanna keep doing. So who occupies your first thought each day? Your last thought each night, maybe that's your king. And maybe this Christmas season you denounce that king and you reaffirm Jesus as your king. In the end, Caesar Augustus died. I read articles and books. I listened to podcasts. I was looking for somebody to say he's still alive. Nobody. I tried to find if he came back from the dead. Nobody's claimed he did that. He ruled for 45 years. Pretty good, right? He was the man for 45 years. His Pax Romana lasted 180 years, which was mostly peace and no civil wars, but People died, Christians suffered, they were persecuted. There was not true peace, even for those that were on the Caesar's sides. And that's the end of Augustus' story. In the end, Jesus, this little baby, would grow up to be 33 or so. He'd die as well, but only be dead for a few days. And then the third day, he got up out of the grave. 
Billions of people over the last 2,000 years have called him the Son of God, have called him the God, have laid down their lives for him. There's no chinks in his armor. While Caesar Augustus promoted marriage and had some tax uh, credits of sorts for those that were married, it was a good thing to be married, he was not faithful in his marriage. He did what he wanted. But Jesus, oh, whatever he said, he did. He truly lived a life of honor. Two kings, one who ruled a short time, not worshiped, dead. Another king who came to save us from ourselves and bring us into true peace to rescue us because he knows us and he knows we need rescue. And oh God, we know. We know ourselves. We know we need rescue. And yet he loves us. He's a king who one day will return and establish a new reign and a new rule. Friends, this Christmas season, who do you want to worship? What is worship? Shane Wood's a Bible college professor and he says worship by definition is all that you are. It's everything you do. It's what you believe. It's what you pledge allegiance to. Who is it that you belong to that's worship? From the atheists to the Christians and everywhere in between, we are all worshiping. We are all worshiping. This Christmas season, will you make room? Who do you want to guide your life? A dead king? You may say, Andy, I'm not gonna worship Augustus. I just learned about him today. I don't want, it doesn't make any sense. But what about the things Augustus represents? Temporary happiness, money, pseudo control, the appearance of peace. Is that what you're making room for? Or will you make room for the one who died? He died for you and he still lives today. Jesus, the King of kings who cares for you because he created you. Will you make room for Jesus, the newborn king? I'm gonna pray. And maybe this Christmas, for the first time, you wanna give your life to Jesus. You wanna repent of your sins and say, God, I know I've messed up. I know I need a savior. Our Connect team is gonna be at these two K tables in the corner. Come down front. They'd love to talk and pray with you. Maybe you've never been baptized and now's the time. That's the Christmas gift you want this year. Maybe there's other ways you need to make room. We're gonna take time to sing about making room and to really focus on that. So I'm gonna pray as we enter that time. God, oh God, King of all kings, I am overwhelmed by your goodness, by your kindness, by the way that you did not cut any corners or take any shortcuts. You entered life as this little baby for me. And you died for me. And you died for each person in this room and each person watching at home online. And God, thank you. Thank you for being my king. And Lord, for each one of us, may we make room for you, not just this Christmas season, but for the rest of our lives. May we be changed by our time with you. In Jesus' name.